Welcome to Cosmic Tales Episode 2, a Guardians of the Galaxy podcast. I'm Jesse Butler, and I'm joined with... Jeff Davis. And now we turn to Iron Man 55, published in February 1973. Cover plot, pencils, and character concepts by Jim Starlin. Aided by scripter Mike Frederick. Inker Mike Esposito and Joe Sanut. Letterer John Constanza and editor Roy Thomas. So here we actually get into Marvel with superheroes. This is a little bit more high speed. This is kind of what I thought of when I think of comic books. Yes, well, this is early 70s. So the Fantastic Four have been around for 13 years. The Avengers have been around for like 10 years. It's, there's a lot of history already in the Marvel Universe by this point. Well, and Iron Man himself has been around for quite a while, too. Yeah, this is issue 55, and he had some issues in, I forget which comic he started in, but yeah, he's been around for a while. Yeah, most of them started in things like Tales to Astonish or Strange Tales. So what do you think of this cover? This is at least a little closer to what's going on in the book, which I've got to give him kudos for. The scene itself, of course, doesn't happen, because they've got to set everything up for this. But we've got two clearly bad guys who have Iron Man over a barrel, and the only person who can save him is busting through the wall behind him. I do like how it says, Monsters, I've tracked you across galaxies for this moment. Although later in this particular issue, we will learn that it's more like across the solar system than galaxies. Well, yeah, but the space program was still relatively new, and they weren't quite, you know, thinking that far out. I mean, Saturn's pretty far away. Galaxies! Galaxies away, yes. I have to admit that my familiarity with Trax, who's the subject in this particular Iron Man, really had only started in the 90s with the Infinity War crossovers. It was interesting to see all the stuff that had been put together for this particular situation. I was going to mention, so this is the beginning of Jim Starlin. He's only filling in for an issue here in Iron Man, and then this is going to continue on to a bunch of Captain Marvel stuff. But uh, Jim Starlin sets up Drax the Destroyer and Thanos and a bunch of characters that later becomes that Infinity War and the Infinity Gauntlet. And numerous other Infinity Infinities and eventually into things like the Cancerverse and all kinds of craziness. Turning to page one, we have uh, Drax the Destroyer chained up in some sort of machine with some energy around him. This Drax would not be very recognizable to people who've just seen the movie because it's he's got green skin, but he's wearing kind of a purple cloak and has a yellow belt with a skull on it. Uh, he's got red eyes, and that's about the only distinguishing shared characteristic. He's quite clearly a product of 70s superheroism. You can see that also by the fact that he is amply surrounded by Kirby Dots. So the issue begins with him sending a telepathic message across the continents to Iron Man. I want to mention that I don't think I've seen Drax the Destroyer use telepathy since this issue, not even in the next appearance that he's going to be in. It's certainly not a common power for him. They do this a lot with people, particularly in situations like this, where they will have an ability for a short amount of time, and then it'll get quietly retconned or just completely forgotten or something along those lines. I also wonder, we've got the Avengers, we've got the Fantastic Four, we have Captain Marvel, why Iron Man? Well, I think it's mostly that uh, Jim Starlin was given, you know, this is a fill-in title he started doing a, 
a bit of work here and there and this was his opportunity to introduce some new characters and like said that these characters in the story are going to follow into a different title when he's made the kind of the lead on captain marvel so it's more he wanted to introduce drax and not that he wanted to have drax and iron man team up my speculation again it's probably a aspect of coming at this from the now back to the then Iron Man never struck me as one of those galactic-type heroes. You have in both DC and Marvel and in most derivations of comic books that deal with classic superhero stories, you usually have your street-level styles, you've got your maybe global-level styles, then you start to get into your planetary and even cosmic levels. And usually they don't tend to interact much unless there's specific events to engage them, like Secret Wars or Infinity Wars or Crisis on Infinite Earths or things like that. So looking back, I never really saw Iron Man as a galaxy-level hero, and in this particular case, he's clearly doing that. Well, it's really more solar system level, and he does come with his own spacesuit. There's galaxies between <laughs> between where Drax started from and where Drax ended up. Galaxies. Very true. So, page two, we get dropped right into the thick of it. A standard procedure with superhero comics. If they're not being beaten up in the first page, they are beating somebody up in the first page. We're introduced to the fact that Iron Man is being attacked by somebody called the Blood Brothers. We're informed that the warning that Drax is giving us on the first page was received, but too late because the Blood Brothers are already whacking on Iron Man. So yeah, we have a next page, they do some more tussling, but the two of them are enough to overcome Iron Man, and he's knocked out, and then they drag him to a spaceship and fly to the other side of the world. I'm not quite sure where they're supposed to go. A soft descent upon a desolate southwestern landscape. Is that, like, Arizona or Australia? I don't know. Well, and it's interesting, because they go from where Iron Man is based, which I assume is New York at this point. Everyone in Marvel is in New York. Pretty much. So they are launching into orbit from New York to land on, oh, but it's hyperspeed travel. So it's a southwestern landscape, but not on Earth. Because as we find out in the latter, latter planet, it's another world, an alien world. See, I'm not certain if it's supposed to be another, like, they're beneath this time scar service, there's another world. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to mean, but it really does seem like it's supposed to be somewhere else on Earth, because they said half a continent away, not like a world away. Oh, right. I'm thinking ahead to where, because I guess this is a base on Earth, and then there's a whole other thing happening elsewhere, but... This is why 60s comics are usually confusing. It is a bit confusing. Yeah, I think this is uh, the, the forward base on Earth. So next page, we get a glimpse at Thanos, although it's kind of hidden and shaded because they didn't want to do the full reveal till much later. But it's got Drax still in prison going, Thanos, how did you return? And they mostly monologue back and forth. Uh, I do like the art on this page, particularly the like close-up on Drax's eyes down near the end. Well, that's the whole... I'm about to go into exposition mode. Because, of course, they threw you into the middle of it to grab you at the start, but now they have to explain the context of the story so that you can follow the rest of it as they start to actually unfold. We also find out here that Drax is apparently on a sole mission to destroy Thanos. We still don't know why. Here we know that this is his thing. He is going to destroy Thanos. We've got the whole 
nemesis hero thing set up directly. So yes, next page begins the flashback where he first tried to contact uh, Tony Stark while he was in some sort of meeting. I really like his uh, notes on this meeting. He's like, gentlemen, this is the first set of sales and stock reports compiled since Stark Industries shifted priorities from weaponry to ecological research. I am pleased to announce. So even in the, here, they were trying to uh, make Stark the kindler, gentler, less weapons-friendly company. That was part of the whole thing, was the whole turnaround because he witnessed what had happened when people had access to his weaponry. And again, I think that was kind of the the thread that we saw in a lot of these early comics of, you know, the shift away from let's be an industrial machine to let's start thinking about tomorrow. Let's start imagining where we're going to be going from here. Also, this Tony Stark looks nothing like the ones that you've seen in the movies. He is pretty much has the standard Superman hairstyle with the black and the blue highlights and the curl in front and a pencil-thin mustache. I didn't even notice the mustache, you're right. Well, they don't do a lot of close-ups on him, so it's not, not particularly easy to tell. But again, 60s and 70s, mustaches were more in style than beards. As you look at the page here alone, you see the fact that you've got a couple of people with clean-shaven, but you've already got a guy in a suit over there in the backdrop who's got a mustache. The guy in the purple suit who talks to him, he's clean-shaven. I thought he had a mustache there in that last uh, last panel. But it's either mustachioed or clean-shaven. And everybody's in suits and ties. They're Colored suits and ties, but suits and ties nonetheless. I like the purple suit, but yes, they're <laughs> businessmen. Um, and you're also seeing some more work on differentiating colors. They're still using that starkness to sort of highlight people or kind of let them fade into the backdrop. In the third panel here, you've got a guy completely in purple who's clearly just there to fill in. And when you have your dramatic scenes, you've got some shading with just some basic colors, but you've got a lot more detail when it comes to actually shading Tony Stark's close-ups. Even at the long shots, there's a lot more effort being put into sort of making this look a little bit more together. And you also don't tend to have as much in the way of random color shifts of outfits. Tony Stark's suit doesn't change from blue to pink to orange and then back to blue. Yeah, I'm not sure actually who did the colors, if it was Starlin who was doing colors at this point, or what, because I didn't see a colorist in the credits. And then on the next page, since Iron Man is your gadget hero, he takes an entire page putting on his armor and explaining how he puts on his armor. Five issues in, they still had a full page getting into his armor every issue? I'm guessing so. I don't know if it's just general padding, but uh, they do like to show these sorts of things off. This is also, being that it's 70s Tony Stark, as opposed to having a nice little arc reactor buried in his chest, Tony Stark actually has to wear the full chest plate at all times. It's a little more cumbersome, but the designs of it in... Uh, in this early Iron Man, pretty much had it as like a muscle shirt with the arc reactor thingy in the center there. Also, his suitcase suit, which impressive that you can put an entire suit of power armor into a suitcase. As we learned from the aforementioned Marvin, he has retractable arm coverings and retractable leg coverings that are all magnetic. Yeah, well, so it seems like it uh, is a flexible material until it is polarized. I'm pretty sure they didn't really know much about magnets back then at Marvel. <laughs> and uh, then it becomes the full suit. So, yeah, it is definitely a 
interesting look at the early suits of uh, Iron Man. Then, of course, we have on the next page the I am fully armored up pose of superheroics. Yeah, because we haven't seen Iron Man in a suit before. The other 55 previous issues. So yeah, so this is the point where the Blood Brothers have snuck in and uh, he's getting his warning. Oh, actually, he's getting a full recap of Drax's story in the next page. So we're talking about a uh, exposition in exposition. And here we get Iron Man in his whole I'm listening pose in the center. While Drax goes into detail about a species known as the Titans and their home planet of Titan, which is one of the moons of Saturn, which they have built an entire gargantuan semi-sentient computer just beneath the crust, and then an entire enclosed planetary Dyson sphere beneath that that has lakes and trees and ponds and everything you could possibly want. Yeah, so even here they... uh show that uh, it's ruled by Mentor and his sons Eros and Thanos, and Thanos is still kind of shaded because they haven't done a full splash reveal yet, so they kind of want to keep him slightly hidden. You can still clearly see most of what he looks like, but the face and everything is, is hidden from view. This is also where we find out that Thanos tried to usurp power from Mentor, and was subsequently exiled from Titan, never to come home again. But yeah, these uh, space shots where we really get to see a bit of Starlin style. Uh, I really like the kind of glowy dots for stars in the final panel. And there's a remarkable number of nebula and other astrological phenomena happening right next to Saturn. Yes, Marvel space is quite crowded. It is, indeed. Following that, we find that Thanos, uh, on the next page, manages to... uh, Raise an entire army of miscreants and malcontents. I assume since they mention Thanos' booty and are not talking about Thanos himself, has rampaged across the galaxy and been stealing wealth constantly. Here it also looks like there's a couple of things that stand out here that make me wonder. There's a guy in the front in pink armor with green skin with a pistol that kind of reminds me of Kang. I think he's probably supposed to be a scroll, but it's hard to tell. I don't know. Oh, since they had Captain Marvel, they had probably established the scrolls. Scrolls like first year of Fantastic Four. But yes, there's quite a motley crew of various aliens and robot aliens and and stuff. And there's a guy in the back there who's wearing a helmet vaguely reminiscent of early four. Well, because Space Vikings, they're a thing. I guess so. And of course, there is a giant robot who likely has laser vision, and yet carries a mace. It's a civilized weapon for a civilized age or something. And then we move from mostly 60s-style science fiction to let's invoke gods. Though there's no distinction that he is necessarily a god. He is merely a disembodied entity. But Mentor seeks his aid, and his aid comes in the form of Axe. Well, should we notice this disembodied entity is known as Kronos, which really ties all these titans back to the Greek myths, because Kronos was the father of titans. Indeed, though they did kind of go in a weird direction, considering Eros was a lesser god, and there was no mentor titan. But it's Marvel, so they play pretty fast and loose with their mythology. Yeah, it's more of a hint than a direct reference, although I believe we'll get more direct references as the history of Titan is flushed out in future stories. Mm-hmm. 
So from what I assume the surface of Titan is, although he's standing on the surface of a planet, staring at multiple other planets and stars, so I'm not certain if this is Titan itself, but apparently formed from Titan or whatever planet they're on is Drax himself. State born neither of mother or father. Of course, spoilers in like two or three issues that will be retconned a bit. <laughs> well, you know, what is a comic book if not a collection of retcons? And on the next page, we have Drax engaging in his first conflict with a much younger, it appears, Thanos. From what we can see, again, face hidden, shoulder shots, that sort of thing. So it should be noted that uh, Drax the Destroyer can indeed fly in this era, and in fact can fly between planets. Well, being forged from a planet, one would assume he'd be, you know, generally not requiring of air. And he wouldn't be a very good destroyer if he had to constantly hitch rides. It's true, although it seems like he's not a very good destroyer, because on the next page he's quickly defeated by Thanos. But Thanos is kind enough to just kind of leave him there, because he's learned his lesson, clearly. And in addition... Their conflict apparently completely destroys a planet. So that's where you start to establish the fact that both Thanos and Drax are some pretty heavy-duty dudes. And this planet did have some life, although only plant life is pictured in the drawing. So definitely a whole planet is destroyed in their struggle. And here we get a little more clarification that Thanos apparently made his war camp on Earth, because it was safe from detection, and uh, hauled Drax here. So this does give us some sense as to why he'd be contacting Iron Man in the first place. So no real explanation for where the Brood Brothers come from, other than that they must be part of Thanos' army of mercenaries. True, but from everything that they're being used for, they're pretty much your standard cadre of thugs. So you know, they're good for a splash page, they're good for a, uh-oh, watch out for these guys, but... They probably don't pop up much after this. I have done the research to be sure, but I certainly hadn't heard of them before I read this issue. I can say I have seen them. Well, so in uh, reading ahead to look for issues to study, there's a future Iron Man issue that the comic database tagged Drax in, but Drax only appears in basically Iron Man's flashback to this story. So we're not going to cover it. But in that one, it is revealed that the Blood Brothers are called the Blood Brothers because they are galactic vampires. Okay. Though they show absolutely no signs of vampirism anywhere in this story. Right. Like I said, that shows up in the next story. <laughs> that story is actually uh, Iron Man It comes back to this base looking for clues and the Blood Brothers are just still here. Because they had nothing better to do. Luckily, they beat they... him up once, so they figured they'd hang around. Right. Uh, but as we know, Iron Man can't defeat both Blood Brothers at the same time, so lucky for him in that issue, the Thing wanders by and helps him out, and then they team up and defeat the Blood Brothers again. So on the subsequent page, we now switch to a completely different perspective, where we are introduced to Mentor in the current period. Did we mention or... Isaac, the Titan-spanning computer before? Vaguely. I had mentioned the fact that they had built a, a giant computer just under the surface of their planet. Uh, yeah, so it turns out it's named Isaac. I think somewhere later it uh, explains what Isaac stands for. But uh, yeah, Mentor is communicating with the Destroyer through Isaac. I was going to say, my no-prize explanation for Drax's telepathy is that he doesn't actually have telepathy. He's relaying stuff through Isaac in this story. Boom, as a computer, does have telepathy. As a world-spanning computer, of course he does. Of course. I mean, if you're world-spanning, spanning, you have to have telepathy. 
because you'll need to talk to people all over the planet. Here we've got Mentor establishing the fact that Iron Man is there, that Drax is there, and then assuming the general role of, okay, well, I'm just going to let this play out while I look vaguely interested in my ginormous collar. Yeah, he's got a bit of a purple face and has that white-haired, I'm a scholarly figure. Also has the Superman curl. There's only one kind of hair. There's only one kind of hair in the whole galaxy. Sorry, there's two kinds of hair. There's guy hair and there's girl hair. Well, that's true. That's true. Then, of course, we finally finish with our flashbacks, get to the current point. Iron Man is being hauled into said base that is somewhere on Earth by said Blood Brothers. And then whips out his super amazing fighting card, suddenly doing something as opposed to leaning over. Yes, and he finally uses his repulsive rays to blast them back and escapes to turn to the next panel and find Drax chained somewhere. Well, fortunately, Drax is capable of telling him where he is as uh, he's giving directions to your right and then through the third doorway. Yes, through the relayed telepathy or something. We also see Tony Stark's terrible sense of comedic timing with Dr. Destroyer, I presume. Sorry, Earth joke. Not a very good joke. I think that was a... Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Yes. So, Iron Man is too impatient to listen to Drax, who tries to tell him that he's got some sort of protective shield around him. So, Iron Man tries to zap him, but instead gets backfire and falls down. And then we see some purple legs come in and stomp on Iron Man. Who his polarized gloves, despite being iron-hard toughness, still break underneath Thanos' boot. To be fair, Thanos and Drax punching each other was enough to explode a moon. So... So yeah, so now we finally get the full-on Thanos reveal. I must admit, he looks uh, surprisingly similar to his modern incarnation. A little more purple, maybe. Well, and the outfit is a little more 60s. Which, remarkably, as a side note, Thanos has kept pretty much that exact same outfit through the entire comic history that I've seen. Mild modifications here and there, but he's pretty much constantly in blue or goldish, or blue with goldish or orangish accents. And then the skull cap with the giant brows over his own eyes. And of course, him being likened unto a god must tell Iron Man that he is super pathetic and completely incapable of doing anything to him. So yeah, I kind of like the way this page is laid out, because on the left we've got full-on Thanos from top to bottom, and then on the right we have smaller panels to show what's going on mostly over in uh, Titan as Mentor prepares to fire a... <laughs> now ready, Project Freedom, fire, a blaze of blue issues from the rocks of Titan. Because they have guns on Titan, I guess. But yes, the full body reveal is, of course, nicely done, and they're doing little short, quick panels where it's a lot of face space and tight zooms to sort of have that pacing jump of this kind of stuff is happening very shortly after this whole big, long panel. Then we find out that the on the next page that the blue beam somehow directly interfaces with Iron Man and super boosts his uni beam to the point where it can completely destroy everything that's been holding Drax in place without harming Drax. Drax despite, can survive an exploding planet, so true enough. Despite his earlier attempt with his fist repulsor blasts being completely and utterly circumvented. So now that Drax and Iron Man are free, they can team up against the Blood Brothers and pretty quickly knock them out. With, of course, the one flying towards the viewer with one eye closed and the expression of, holy shit, I just got punched in the face and I'm about to slam into that wall. 
which you always want to see on your villains when you're beating the crap out of them. Yeah, the next page is also full of good action shots as they you know continue to tag team the villains. Again, you've got your one-liner taunts. You talk, Destroyer, but there will be only one death here, and it will be yours. Iron Man, and this is pretty consistent with Iron Man, he always tries to refer to some level of pseudoscience or, you know, just barely scientific-sounding enough stuff to explain how he's able to do these things that he may not have been able to do before with his right amount of microcircuit-powered leverage. He can smash the other guy's head into the wall and knock him out. So yes, on the next page, they finish him up and do quite a bit of exposition while they're talking about it. And here, apparently, not only is Titan surrounded by a giant supercomputer, Drax can issue commands to the computer that Mentor apparently is aware of and has already prepared for. Uh, Here we find out that the whole blue beam thing was specifically designed to transmit power boost into his armor so that he could destroy the things that were holding Drax in place. We're starting to run into that whole let's whip out the deus ex machina again. And in the final panel, we've got uh, them turning back to see Thanos with the lever. Thanos saying, It will be your last boast, Iron Man. Once this switch is thrown, this entire fortress will be obliterated. And you as well, Thanos, says Drax. For revenge, I think he'll do it, Destroyer. Uh, he survived a planet exploding. have to do more damage than a planet exploding to kill himself, which would destroy Earth. That's okay. We see on the next page as Iron Man quickly uh, rushes him, and while Drax's yo- low-yield energy blast eliminates the lever itself, that uh, this is actually a robot Thanos duplicate. Clearly Thanos has been taking lessons from Doctor Doom. Well, uh, to be fair, Marvel does like whipping out their robot duplicates. Nearly any time a villain's about to get his face punched in, it's a robot duplicate. I would like to also point out, speaking of retcon. You will also not see Drax the Destroyer whipping out energy beams, probably much at all. Yeah, I have to keep an eye on that. I know his, his powers are definitely a bit in flux for the next uh, story or two. And the one that I'm more familiar with, which has the same basic look, he's pretty much just a giant walking tank. There's no telepathic abilities, there's no energy blasts or anything like that, just... Just flying muscle. Yeah, pretty much. Of course, not only is it a robot duplicate... It's a robot duplicate with a self-destruct mechanism. Was it the duplicate of the self-destruct, or was just the whole base had a self-destruct? It was hard to tell. It's not terribly easy to tell, but I'm assuming from the line of gotcha, which neither Drax nor Iron Man is likely to utter, that it's probably the robot itself exploding. See, I took that to be coming from Iron Man, even though it does seem a bit out of character. In this particular case, base completely destroyed, completely unsurprising. Clearly the Blood Brothers are taken care of. So as we learn later, no, they're not. And handily, everything is erased, and Thanos is somewhere else, but Iron Man is convinced that none of them are going to bother Drax for a long, long time. All know is a setup for Thanos showing up in the next issue or two, in most cases. Uh, Actually, let me take a look, see what's the gap between this and the next issue. So yes, this was February 73, and the next appearance of Drax will be July of 73. So he's got a few months off. Okay, you know, take a vacation, recharge your batteries, swing around to some of those other galaxies between here and Saturn. So yeah, so after the full page of Iron Man and Drax uh, escaping from the explosion, we've got another page that's just uh, a bit of slapping each other on the back and handshaking. And skepticism from Drax that it's really over, which again is another setup for clearly these people are going to be coming back at some later date. Which, let's be fair, 
is pretty much a staple of comic books in and of themselves. They always want to keep a cadre of villains or possibilities in the backdrop so they can pull them out later. And of course we have the gallant responses of Tony Stark. I defeated an evil and I don't need to be repaid. Good buddies, we're going to handshake on it. Thanos is a bad guy, but we'll beat the crap out of him. And then Drax goes on to fly off, I'm assuming back to Titan, to say mission accomplished before inevitably they find out that mission was not accomplished. Presumably. Though I do like how at the very end, Iron Man is thinking, now I've got to rest my transistors a while and then start a long journey home. Do these guys know how transistors work? Do they really need to get rested? They really don't. But that was the premise of Iron Man's suit, was his super strength and his repulsor blasts were all because he had capacitors and transistors that were capable of storing and redirecting this energy. But after he expended himself, he had to let it recharge for a little bit before he could go off again. That was his power block, his little bit of weakness that they insert into their superheroes so that they seem vaguely realistic, despite the fact that nothing about this comic book was realistic. Very true. But that was definitely a fun look at the origins of Drax, the Destroyer, and Thanos. Both fairly major players in the Guardians of the Galaxy and in upcoming movies for Marvel as well. So anything you want to say in conclusion before we sign off? I have to admit, I did not know the depth of Drax's original origins here, so it was interesting to see that. And again, it's also a case where Marvel likes to pull out their cosmic entities pretty often. There seem to be entities around every single corner in the Marvel Universe. And then there's entities of entities of entities. But uh, it's always interesting to go back and read the older comics, because while the storylines, again, still kind of feel ham-fisted, it's an interesting approach, and it's interesting to see where these things started from and how they sort of morphed over time. Yeah, next we'll see Drax in Captain Marvel 27, uh, which will have more Thanos, uh, plus Captain Marvel. Eventually the Avengers get pulled into that story, and then you definitely see the origins of you know all the cosmic goodies that becomes the Infinity War and beyond. I think that about wraps it up. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cosmic Tales. If you'd like to contact us, we are at Cosmic Tales on Twitter, or you can email guardians at cosmictales.com. Join us next episode for more Drax the Destroyer action.